0: If the anointed priest shall sin, the verse begins with the Hebrew word im, if. But when it comes to a political leader sinning, then another word instead of im is utilized. When the nasi shall sin. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 32, cohen versus King. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. It is a wonderful and famous story, and here is one version of it that I have found. In 1944, a young man by the name of Isaiah Berlin was working for English intelligence in the British Embassy in Washington. Churchill could sense the brilliance of the writer of these reports, and yearn to actually get the opportunity to meet this Mr. Berlin in person, to talk politics, the war, and much else. Then in May of 1944, London was visited not by Isaiah Berlin, but by Irving Berlin, the American songwriter. Churchill happened to hear that a Mr. Berlin was in town and insisted on meeting the ingenious individual whose political analysis he had so enjoyed. And so in a situation more suitable for a sitcom, Irving Berlin went to lunch with the world's greatest statesman, who unfortunately assumed that his guest had a similarly remarkable political mind. Mr. Berlin, Churchill asked, what is the most important piece of work you have done for us lately, in your opinion? Poor Irving Berlin hesitated, a bit unsure of what was being asked, and then answered, I don't know. It should be White Christmas, I guess. No doubt Flummox Churchill then asked, Do you think Roosevelt will be re-elected this year? Berlin said, Well, in the past I have voted for him myself. This year I am not so sure. Now Churchill is mystified. But he made one last stab and said, Mr. Berlin, When do you think the European war is going to end? Berlin said, Sir, I shall never forget this moment. When I go back to my own country, I shall tell my children and my children's children that in the spring of 1944, the Prime Minister of Great Britain asked me when the European war was going to end. That was it for Churchill. Poor Irving Berlin came back from his lunch and reflected to his acquaintance, You know, Mr. Churchill is probably the greatest man in England, or in the world maybe, but I don't know what it was. I somehow felt we did not click. Meanwhile, Churchill commented to his own staff, Berlin's just like most bureaucrats, wonderful on paper, but disappointing when you meet them face to face. This mix-up, if it did indeed occur, is amusing, but also unfortunate. For a conversation between young Isaiah Berlin and the 20th century's greatest statesman would have been fascinating. Irving Berlin may have given America many songs, but Isaiah Berlin has given us an important essay about excellence in political leadership, one which sheds fascinating light on an ancient ritual in Leviticus. In discussing the distinct roles of particular leaders in Israelite society, we must first turn to an offering, or korban, described in Leviticus 4 as the chatat. While sin offering is the usual rendering of this word in English, Professor Jacob Milgram has, I believe convincingly, argued that the true translation is Purification Offering Various actions and events in ancient Israel require purification. Sin sometimes happens to be one of them. A chatat is offered after certain forms of accidental sin. For Milgram, what is being reinforced here is the Israelite connection to the sanctuary. When we sin, the temple or tabernacle is itself affected and needs to be purified. Thus, just as we saw how the blood of the Paschal Lamb was applied to Israelite doorways, Here, the blood of the chatat is applied to various parts of the temple or tabernacle in purificatory rituals. Milgram gives us an interesting literary allusion to the novel The Picture of Dorian Gray. There, a man by the name of Dorian is given youth for all eternity, and the evil acts he committed could not be seen as impacting his visage, but nevertheless, a portrait of him grew ever uglier by the day. Similarly, an Israelite who sins may seem physically unaffected, but the impact of his misdeeds is soaked up by the sanctuary itself until purification is applied there. But here is where it gets truly interesting. The sins of different figures impact the sanctuary in different ways. Let us see how this is so. Leviticus chapter 4 verse 27, and if any one of the people sin through error in doing any of the things which the Lord commanded not to be done and be guilty. Here, a chatat is brought, and the blood of the offering is applied to the horns, adorning the altar in the outer courtyard of the tabernacle. Verse 30. And the priest shall take of the blood thereof with his finger, and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering. A similar ritual, known as the korban asham, or guilt offering, is described in chapter 5, to atone for and provide purification following sins such as misuse of God's name in oaths, or violations within the sanctuary. When, however, not a regular individual, but the high priest himself sins, then what is required is purification not of the altar in the outer courtyard, but of the inner sanctuary. Leviticus 4.6, And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the holy. This means that the priest stands before and purifies the area of the curtain that hangs before the ark. The sin of the high priest, it would seem, more profoundly impacts the sacred sphere. Purification of the inner sanctum is also required when, as described in verse 13, the whole congregation of Israel should err. For Talmudic law, this refers to a mistake in legal interpretation by the Sanhedrin, the supreme Torah court in Israel, whose decision brings about sin on behalf of the people. Thus, the high priest and the Sanhedrin have greater power than the individual to pollute the temple. What about a king? Beginning in verse 22, Leviticus addresses the sin of the nasi, the political leader. And here, while the animal offered is unique, the purification is equivalent to that of any other individual. The blood is applied not within the sacred sanctuary, but on the outer altar as with any other individual Israelite. The point appears to be that cultic leaders such as the high priest and religious leaders like the Sanhedrin are bound up with the sanctuary in a unique way. That priests are profoundly linked to the holy, that both their sins and souls are connected to it, can be seen from the tragic tale of the tabernacle's inauguration. As Leviticus further describes in chapters 8, 9, and 10, Moses prepares his brother and his nephews, Aaron and his sons, to serve as priests in the tabernacle. As their inauguration occurs, the glory of God occupies the temple. Fire from the Almighty issues forth, and then tragedy takes place. Leviticus 9:24. And Nadav and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took each of them his firepan and laid incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. Two of Aaron's sons, Nadav and Abihu. Engage in what is seemingly some sort of unallowed incense, which is considered a breach, and the act results in their death. Incense, as we have seen, provides for a mystical moment within the holy. And while the action of these priests was a violation, it is clear that what drove them was closeness to the divine, rather than total rebellion against him. And this is the clear message behind God's own description of their deaths. Chapter 10, verse 3. Then Moses said unto Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, Through them that are close to me, I will be sanctified. The priests, God says, are those nearest to me. And so the kohanim, the priests and especially the high priest, is linked to the inner sanctum. And a sin of the anointed priests impacts the inner sanctum, and the purification must therefore take place within the holy itself. The same can be said for sins of the Sanhedrin, which, according to Jewish tradition, would sit within the temple, inspired by the divine presence, to interpret Jewish law. A king less linked to the sanctuary only need follow his sin by performing his purification act in the outer courtyard. His life is bound to the polity, to the larger world. But to this, ladies and gentlemen, Leviticus seems to add another striking point, that the leader's engagement with the world at large makes his sin more likely, perhaps even inevitable, and that this is the price paid for political leadership though this does not make political leadership any less vital. And thus, another difference between priest and king comes forward. Here is how the sin of the high priest is described in Leviticus 4.3. If the anointed priest shall sin. The verse begins with the Hebrew word im, if. But when it comes to a political leader sinning, then another word instead of im is utilized. Leviticus 32 begins, When the nasi shall sin. The Hebrew is asher nasi yechta. when a political leader sins. When replaces if. When it comes to the leader of the polis, sin seems almost likely, if not inevitable. Why might this be so? In answering, let us recall Churchill's line from the tale of the mix-up. Berlin's just like most bureaucrats, wonderful on paper, but disappointing when you meet them face to face. Churchill, of course, was misidentifying Irving for Isaiah, but as I noted in my Tikvah lectures on Jewish statesmanship, the comment is in fact instructive, for Churchill implicitly offers us a distinction between the bureaucrat and the statesman. One is impressive on paper, the other inspires in person. The bureaucrat is all rules and regulations. The statesman overwhelms with his or her personality. Bureaucrats perform solely based on external expectations. But statesmen's achievements are an extension of their very selves. And the fascinating fact is that this point was made by the very man that Churchill had originally intended to meet. One of Isaiah Berlin's most important essays is titled On Political Judgment, in which Berlin notes that while we tend to speak about political science as if affairs of state obey universal rules, the truth is that great leaders often decide what to do by drawing on a strength within themselves. As Berlin puts it, political judgment is a, quote, capacity in the first place for synthesis rather than analysis, end quote. Berlin compares leadership to a knowledge in the way that conductors know their orchestras rather than to the way mathematicians know numbers. Political leadership for Berlin reveals the inner art, instinct, and individuality of those that lead. The corollary of this, however, is that perhaps... Error might also be assured. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, in a wonderful essay, draws on Isaiah Berlin's insights in making this point. Quote, It is possible that a high priest, the Supreme Court, or an individual may err. But in the case of a leader, it is probable or even certain. Leaders make mistakes. It is the occupational hazard of their role. Talking about the sin of a nasi, the Torah uses the word when, not if. The reason leaders, as opposed to judges and priests, cannot avoid making mistakes is that there is no textbook that infallibly teaches you how to lead. Priests and judges follow laws. For leadership, there are no laws, because every situation is unique. As Isaiah Berlin put in his essay, Political Judgment, in the realm of political action, there are few laws, and what is needed instead is skill in reading a situation. Successful statesmen, quote, do not think in general terms. Instead, quote, they grasp the unique combination of characteristics that constitute this situation, this, and no others. And Rabbi Sachs further adds that the point here is that, quote, in politics it is easy to get it wrong, hard to get it right, End quote. Rabbi Sachs is right, and to this we might add another point. The reason why political leadership is so difficult, and why Leviticus seems to expect errors from a king, is that for Judaism the leader must always join ideal and real, never losing sight of what is the ideal while addressing the real. It was Isaiah Berlin in another even more famous essay who divided leaders into two categories, foxes and hedgehogs, in the spirit of a Greek saying, the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. Hedgehogs for Berlin, as he puts it, quote, relate everything to a single central vision, end quote, whereas foxes respond differently to diverse situations. As John Lewis Gaddis notes in his book on grand strategy, long before the internet, this essay went viral. The problem, as he further points out, is that the essay is wrong, because the truth is that great statesmen are simultaneously hedgehogs and foxes. Like foxes, they innovate in the face of the uniqueness of the situation, but they also never lose sight of a central principle in their life. This combination requires incredibly difficult decisions that may prove sometimes to be entirely erroneous with the hindsight of history. Rabbi Sachs himself writes further as follows. There are no universal rules. There is no fail-safe textbook for leadership. Every situation is different, and each age brings its own challenges. A ruler in the best interests of his or her people may sometimes have to take decisions that a conscientious individual would shrink from doing in private life. He may have to decide to wage a war, knowing that some will die. He may have to levy taxes, knowing that this will leave some impoverished. Only after the event will the leader know whether the decision was justified, and it may depend on factors beyond his control. The Jewish approach to leadership is thus an unusual combination, writes Rabbi Sachs further, of realism and idealism. Realism in its acknowledgement that leaders inevitably make mistakes, idealism in its constant subordination of politics to ethics, power to responsibility, pragmatism to the demands of conscience. What matters, Rabbi Sachs continues, is not that leaders never get it wrong, that is inevitable given the nature of leadership, but that they are always exposed to prophetic critique and that they constantly study Torah to remind themselves of transcendent standards and ultimate aims. The most important thing from a Torah perspective is that a leader is sufficiently honest to admit his mistakes, hence the significance of the sin offering." Quote. If Churchill was the greatest statesman of the 20th century, the greatest of the 19th was certainly Abraham Lincoln. And the lessons of the leadership chatat, is captured in one scene, in the movie Lincoln, where Lincoln refers to lessons that he learned while working as a land surveyor. It is a scene which, for John Lewis Gaddis, captures the true combination of hedgehog and fox. Lincoln says, and I paraphrase the quote slightly, a compass will point you true north from where you're standing, but it's got no advice about the swamps and deserts and chasms that you'll encounter along the way. If, in pursuit of your destination, you plunge ahead, heedless of obstacles, and achieve nothing more than to sink in a swamp, then what's the use of knowing true north? So, Lincoln says in the film, the compass for the Jewish political leader is the Torah. It points true north. And it is in the Torah's all-too-often-ignored laws of Leviticus that we ultimately learn what political leadership is all about. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.